0: Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. We hope that this message inspires you and helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoyed this message. Please welcome Dr. Chris Muller. So good uh, to have you here with us. And um, man, I'm so grateful you've come out today. This is this is such a, a cool opportunity we have to. Talk about something as Chloe mentioned that is real and, uh, and and in a space like this, we really value the opportunity to share with people who are obviously um, educated and learn in these areas and can give us some real practical um, things to get a, a handle on and so if you 're just visiting here today or maybe you're not normally a church person or not someone you know where you stand with god it 's just so cool that you're here with us because obviously this is something that everyone deals with wherever they are on, on the spectrum of faith but today obviously we want to bring um, obviously a Christian perspective, but through obviously a medical and professional standpoint as well. So we're grateful you're here in this, uh, in this opportunity. And if you're joining us online, here as well, online as well, we're grateful you're with us. Um, so Dr. Chris, a little bit about your background, kind of mm-hmm. where you've come from and your experience.
1: Get, get sure. us in the zone. Um, so uh, I'm a GP. Uh, I work locally here on the coast. Um, I used to work as a uniformed military doctor, so I 'd wear a uniform and i 'd see uh, soldiers and, and military personnel um, and uh, you know in that environment there's a lot of high stress, both physical, medical and also psychological and emotional situations it's always a high stress environment Um, I'm not in the military anymore Uh, I now practice uh, in a civilian practice and general practice um, and I still see a lot of uh, mental health conditions and people who could use improvement in their uh, psychological well-being as well as well as medical conditions at the same time
0: very cool. And so I think it's worth uh, kind of putting out there today that um, we are not pretending to cover every single issue in in great depth as it pertains to mental health and well-being. Um, So we'll be diving into a few of them, but we don't want this to be taken as a full exhaustive list and all these practical things to do. Uh, A real heart behind this is um, we want to shine a light probably into some areas of some conversation that maybe doesn't get heaps of airtime at least maybe not in your life and we we really want to today and maybe this is an area in your life that perhaps um you're just unaware of a certain thing and and also kind of what the, the Christian message and the Christian hope in some of these areas are. So so we want, we want to just bring it to the forefront. We want to bring some of the conversation out of the shadows. And I'm so grateful to have Dr. Chris here with us. So but what this isn't, please don't line up after the service. And like, a, can I have an appointment right now with you and at church, right? He's got to do a couple of service with us today. Um, <laughs> but I'm just so grateful here, man. Um, yep. You get to chat absolutely through these areas with us. And these are, you know, these are... Um, this is a big deal. I mean, everyone sitting here and everyone listening today obviously lives a real life and, and we have to live with our minds and live with our brains. And so what I guess from your take, why do you think this is, this is genuinely such an important discussion to have?
1: Look, uh, you know, it's a really important discussion because people often will put it on the back burner or they won't think about it or they'll ignore it for a long period of time until things become, you know, get to crisis point for them you know everyone's story is unique and everyone's story is different and it's important that you know if you are struggling if you're having trouble in, in any of these areas in your in your mental health or um, in your emotional health that you do sit down with somebody who, who's a professional who can talk to you and ask you lots of questions because whenever you're looking at getting some uh, input or treatment or therapy it's important that it's tailored specifically to you so as you were saying you know this isn't a uh, direct medical advice for, for individuals, but it's more to bring some awareness and, and make people aware of what uh, can occur when you're talking to somebody about your mental health or, or what kind of um, framework that we can put it in. Uh, but a lot of people will allow things to spiral out of control sometimes. So it's important to, um, to, to bring some awareness to it and, and hopefully get things under control early you know it's a lot like uh, weeding your garden if there's small weeds and then you can grab them by the roots they'll slip right out quite easily and if you can do that regularly and, and often you only need to do little bits at a time but if you ignore your weeds in your garden their roots will dig right down to the dirt and they'll be absolutely monstrous they'll be picking up huge chunks of lawn whenever you uh try to pull them out again and they'll be Six foot high and talking to you like little shop of horrors, it'll be um, really, really detrimental to to pull it out. But at the same time, if it, things get to that stage, you know, if the weeds grow into a, a bush or a forest. Having some help, having somebody on your side whether that's a professional um, or someone to talk to can be really helpful, really beneficial for you to get that assistance as well.
0: That's great. And we obviously have uh, seat drops on everyone's seats today for you to take home. Um, so if anything raises further questions or you want to take some next steps today after what we talk about, um, there's obviously some some practical help there and numbers and websites that you can go check out for yourself. But I think this is what really is fascinated me. Um, as we've prepared for today, and, and, and I'm sure a lot, of, a lot of people here have discussed this in great detail in their own lives, is I guess how, how much of this... Um, we, we all have a personal somewhat responsibility about how we take care of our thoughts and how we look after our minds, how we're mindful of our minds and mm. how we, we filter through that. I mean, so much of this, re- I mean, I know you come from a medical background and perspective, so you probably got way more to talk into this than me, obviously. But yeah, how much of it actually is on our plate and kind of in our hands and how much of our mental health and wellbeing, really, we get to play a significant role in it.
1: Yeah, I mean, they, it's, it's really important to be looking after your health, not only your, your physical health, you know, it's very easy to talk about getting, plenty of regular exercise and making sure that you're looking after what you're eating. But looking after your mental well-being is also, it takes maintenance and it, it takes attention and it takes deliberate work sometimes. You know, it's it's very easy to, to let things spiral out of control. Many years ago when, when I was studying, uh, I somehow figured out how to do just about everything wrong when I was looking after myself. I would drink coffee all day like it was water. I would be doing work right up until it was time to go to sleep um which was always late at night um i ate whatever i felt like i never got any regular exercise you know during that period of time i i would try to go to bed and i just couldn't go to sleep um and it never occurred to me that it was the 12 course i'd had that day that was interfering with my sleep it never occurred to me that i wasn't giving myself enough downtime to actually relax before i could get to sleep it was just uh, i felt like there was uh I was falling apart in a lot of ways, you know, and it wasn't until I deliberately made some changes until I actually built some rest time into my life and got some regular exercise and started thinking about what I was putting into my body that things started to settle down for me. So there's a lot of practical things that we can do or even mistakes that we can make that can put a lot of stresses on our bodies which can make things hard for us as well. That, that's, I think, um, probably an area where maybe we, we all in
0: some degree or another get a bit confused around, particularly because. Uh, you know the idea of mental well being and mental health is, is I guess talked about in a lot of different environments, and so often we 'll look for you know professional help and, and people to speak into that, but a lot of it as well is kind of within our grasp we kind of really wrestle with and, and how do we get ahead around it, particularly when it comes to our well being and our health. Could you maybe talk into a little bit then um, just to bring clarity around that it, it, you know, when we talk about mental well-being, mental health, is there a distinct difference between that and mental illness, and how that whole interrelates with one another?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, talking about mental illness from from a medical point of view, it's really a diagnosable condition, uh, a syndrome of, of symptoms which can sometimes be overlapping with medical symptoms. Um, and mental illness, we find, will cause a lot of dysfunction in people's life and their ability to cope with day-to-day living in um, their ability to continue to work or to maintain relationships. So certainly if people are finding that they're very anxious or struggling to cope a lot of the time or if they're feeling down every day or if they're feeling overwhelmed, if they're devoid of joyful emotion, if they're struggling to get up and go and, and do things that they would normally be able to do, then... Definitely, talking to someone who can ask you those questions and tease out what's going on with you is, is definitely beneficial. It's the right thing to do, um, and that can bring a lot of clarity and give you a pathway ahead and how to, to go through that forest. Um, but at the same time, you know, looking after ourselves and and having those physical things in place and taking care of ourselves to maintain a um, a good state of mental well being can be really beneficial. If I can draw you a quick diagram,
0: Yes, for all
1: the visually visually stimulated people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If we can conceptualise our state of mind on a line where at one end we've got constantly negative emotions, might be feeling down, lack of energy, not enjoying anything anymore. And if that's a constant pervasive thing in our life and certainly... um, that can also pertain to things like feeling anxious or worried or distressed a lot of the time. We really want to be talking to somebody who's a professional to help us tease out what's going on there. At the other end of this line, we can put our positive emotions. And now, if somebody's living in that extreme positive state of uh, euphoria and bliss that's unrealistic... Let's be honest, if anyone's telling us that they've been that way for more than a week or so, then they're either a liar or they're potentially unwell themselves. Um, (laughs) Or they're just on their honeymoon. Yeah, Yeah. they could just be on their honeymoon. (laughs) 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 Most people will live our lives somewhere in this zone and within that, we'll traverse inside that positive and negative area a lot of the time. And we could start going towards this end, maybe something difficult is happening at work, we're not getting along with our partner, maybe we're not sleeping so well, maybe we've lost a loved one, and it's natural to feel some negative emotion in that part of our lives. At the same time, maybe things are going really well for us, maybe we had a good night's sleep for once, maybe we got to work in time to have a coffee before we even started, we can start to feel good as well. And looking after ourselves, making sure we have enough rest time built into our lives, making sure that we're getting good sleep, regular exercise, not living under high degrees of stress that can help to maintain in this part of our lives. But if things are spiraling maybe a little bit beyond our control, maybe there's a lot on our plate and it's not really our fault and we can't always deal with it, well, things are just getting a bit overwhelmed for us and it's time to start talking to somebody to help talk to that mental illness part and get something lined up so we can get some help in our lives.
0: That's great. I know um, it's interesting because there can sometimes be a misconception about how much of this is beyond our immediate ability to control or to do anything about but a lot of it's within our control and just to clarify this is something we overtly want to speak into today is what parts of this when it comes to our mental well-being do we do you and I have a responsibility for and you and I um, can really make some practical steps towards and I think particularly it's important to talk about this in a Christian context and Maybe maybe you can speak into a little bit about this. There's often been a lot of, uh, I'll say the word stigma and -hmm. some ideas within not only just broader community but within Christian communities where I think sometimes the unwillingness to discuss, you know, just the the general well-being of our our mental state sometimes, we can over spiritualize things and maybe give a, a, a spiritual excuse and or sometimes the idea that if I, you know, I verbalize it, sometimes I'm wrestling with thoughts in my mind. I could be given a license, and mm. so we'll, and so we might quickly come in and be quick to, I don't know, use Christian cliches. Yeah, God's awesome, and things might be horrible, but I'm doing great. And you know, we we cover those things up. Where in many cases, like it's, okay, it's actually okay to not be doing great. Like, and you know, to to God cares about actually ministering to that part of your life, and you can honestly be open and about this. So, is there anything, I guess, from your experience and your perspective that you've seen? maybe both positively and negatively, where the the Christian aspect and the Christian community plays
1: into this. Sure. And, I mean, uh, I can only speak to to my experience from being around churches for a number of years. But certainly we know that uh, where people are engaged in a community that's supportive of them as an individual, that it can be really beneficial for their mental well-being and can help to cope with a lot of resilience. And church can be a great support community. Um, and having a belief in in a benevolent creator, um, a deity that looks after us and has our best interests at heart can also help to build a lot of resilience as well. Um, you know, sometimes you're talking about the stigma uh, and I have seen that around churches before as well where people either they they don't want to talk about it or they want to say that it's not due to mental illness it's due to something else or they'll try and lay the, the blame for what's going on at the feet of the person who's, who's suffering through that. And that can be really damaging. That's an unsupportive community. Sometimes people can start to get this idea that, that God's very punishing and angry with them and that can be yeah. detrimental as well. Yeah. So I think it's really important and, and one of the things that I really wanted to try and do here is dismantle a lot of that stigma and, and bring to the light, maybe talk about some things that you might bring up if you were to see a psychologist, for example, and, and ways that we can conceptualise a, a healthy mental state and, and the way that we examine our own thoughts. That's huge. I, I I mean I say this
0: time and time again here like it's one of the reasons we really believe in community here that this isn't simply a, a Sunday church, this is a an everyday church that we always use the term circles better than rows and I think the reason um we truly believe in that is cuz life life just sometimes doesn't go according to plan as we know and it can be tough and so having people that are know you intimately and regularly involved in your life and have obviously a a leaning towards as you put, it, a benevolent God, a God who cares about our life and a God who's in, intimately interested in us, um, being involved in an environment where you can overtly talk about these things and have people that—I mean, just that—sorry, that sorry, the image you gave of just pulling weeds out when they're small. I just wonder how often if we find ourselves isolated and alone and allow things to grow. When we're in isolation, we can avoid so much of that pain practically just by being in regular community um, with people who are regularly praying for us and we're able to regularly talk through. Now, I know you love your diagram, so are um, you able to maybe paint how that whole emotional wellness kind of works and are
1: there some kind of cycles we find ourselves in practically yeah. to help identify that? Absolutely. And, uh, and a lot of the ways that we conceptualise our mental wellbeing comes from research that have been done um, over a great number of years. Uh, Aaron Beck most famously researched a lot of this um, uh, background what we call cognitive behavioural therapy. Um, and that's a way of, of looking at your emotions and, and the way that you look at your thoughts and the things that you're doing that can help to benefit your your emotional well-being. So often we'll put ourselves in the middle, that's our emotional well-being and this can be influenced by a lot of different things in our lives. It can sometimes be influenced by the things that we're doing, that's our behaviours. It can be influenced by the way that we're feeling and often in the context of mental illness that can be our symptoms as well that can be things like insomnia that can be things like anxiety that can be things like having a a lot of fatigue and feeling lethargic another thing that influences our emotional well-being are our thoughts can you read my doctor's writing Jono? No it's actually quite amazing really you should see my pastor's writing concentrating (laughs) it's horrible (laughs) and often sometimes if we find ourselves under a lot of stress a lot of our self-care starts to fall away maybe we're not being good about when we're going to bed. Maybe we'll start watching TV or playing computer games late into the night. Um, Maybe we'll drop off the exercise and that can make us feel a lot more lethargic and unwell. And that can mean that we're tired or maybe we're anxious or we're not taking care of things and things start to build up and we're feeling stressed. We start to get thoughts sometimes that things are not so good, maybe we're not so good, um, we're not doing well at the things that we said we were going to do, we're not meeting these informal goals which we set for ourselves, which are sometimes unrealistic as well. And that can, thinking style often affects the way that we look after ourselves and the things that we do and it can spiral into a wow. state of negative emotional well-being. But we know as well through this research that, that um, has been done for a number of years that we can push that back the other way. If we can examine right. our thoughts and maybe challenge Is what we're thinking really true or is that an erroneous or an unhelpful way of thinking? Or maybe we can start with little things that we can take care of, maybe uh, controlling our environment, maybe looking after going for a walk once or twice a week, that kind of thing. Then our thoughts might start to increase. We're achieving some of these things that we set for ourselves and that can help the way that we're feeling. Often if we start taking care of ourselves, then we can start feeling more energetic or we'll, if we're achieving things the way that we expected to, then we can start feeling like we're more um, light in our mood, for example. And then it becomes a lot easier to do things that are good for us and that can take care of us. And so we can push that spiral back in the other direction yeah. as well and increase our emotional well-being.
0: You can dig into that a little bit because I remember being, I read recently um, the idea that when it comes to changing what you do, don't like aim for the stars, right? Like right. find what you... What you can do, yes. and what you're willing to do, absolutely, and start there, right? That's so right. you don't have to set huge goals. Just begin with something. Begin to
1: just reverse the trend, sure. And that might be waking up at a certain time every day, for example, or making your bed every day, and being consistent in it. Is that the is that legit? Because I've heard I've heard that talk before. Like, start
0: with make your bed. Like, can you speak yeah. into that a little bit? What What sure. is the idea of I making mean, that? We,
1: we talk about it a lot. Um, I don't know if there's been any research studies. Who makes your bed on, regularly? On making your bed, all the what? Yeah good. <laughs> so there's, there's, making your bed, the, the idea behind it is that you can have control over your environment, your immediate environment, and something very easy to do that's within right. your power. Um, and once you start doing something which you can control, that you can get a benefit out of, that you get satisfaction in completing the task for one thing and having a, a neater and nicer environment to live in, that you can build off that. So if you start the day with achieving one thing, then you're more likely... To achieve the next thing that you set for yourself, and so on, and then that can help to increase your ability to look after yourself. I absolutely love that,
0: and I th- I'm I'm just so challenged often that um, that how much like we we are responsible for taking care of our thoughts and our minds. We're, that how much we're responsible for what for what we do when thoughts kind of enter our space, and it just I guess to me it's really challenging thought that how we then deal with our thoughts can have a like a, a practical overflow either for better or for worse into our mm-hmm. life, you know. Um, maybe you can elaborate a little bit on the idea. I think the word, um, to, you know, to pick one, the word like de- depressed or we say terms like, you know, I'm feeling depressed, I'm depressed. Um, it's, it's pretty common. I'm sure it's come out of most of our mouths. Too often we obviously experience it to varying degrees and people we know experience it to varying degrees. How do you kind of talk through and how do you, I guess, find the deferring line between when we feel depressed compared to if we actually are diagnosed, you know, you're depressed mm. and you need certain help around that because
1: yeah. the word is just so prominent now in our world. Mm. So how do, how do we kind of navigate through yeah. that? I mean, uh, lots of people will use the word depressed to describe an emotional state and the way that they're feeling in the moment. Um, people will use things like anxiety in the same way. Sure. Um, feeling anxious in that moment. And when I'm looking at it from a medical point of view, depression or anxiety to me is clinical syndrome with certain symptoms and regular patterns of Thinking, for example, or, or clusters of um, things that people are experiencing, thought styles and things like that. Um, when somebody is feeling low, as we saw in that line, they can sometimes describe themselves as depressed, but often uh, if it's part of that natural spectrum of emotional Uh, human emotion, then they'll still usually maintain regular function. Their relationships won't necessarily suffer. Um, They'll often find that they'll recover very shortly within a day or so, at least to some extent, um, and be able to cope in the situation. But when people are getting to the point where they're becoming overwhelmed, um, where they're not coping with their day-to-day life, where their relationships are suffering, where they're withdrawing from people, they're, they're no longer able to keep going to work because of it, for example, or keep doing the things that they would normally do, and that's certainly time to talk to a professional. You know, if you're worried for any reason, certainly talk to a professional. It can help you tease out what's going on. A lot of the time, uh, you can talk to somebody and it's not necessarily going to end up with you being diagnosed with something sure. as well. You can just tease out whether it is something that needs to be treated, say, with therapy or with more physical changes to your life, whether it's purely a medical problem as well. Um, it's important to tease out what's going on for you.
0: That's so important. And again, I remember hearing information similar to this and I, I've always balked against the idea of
1: going to talk to
0: someone. And I think maybe that's not just in Christian circles but in general circles, like uh, if I kind of give this air, I'm kind of acknowledging that I'm, I'm broken or I've got issues. And so it's sometimes that, that weird first step, or I don't want to burden other people with this. So I remember I was challenged with it because I just recognized that there were, not too long ago, there's even areas in my life and I was like, I started seeing certain um, symptoms as you put it and certain signs going, wow, there's just something going on with how I'm navigating my thoughts. And so it was my wife, Chloe, she goes, well, wait, what? go talk to someone, you know, before it becomes as you put like a forest. If you recognize there's some weeds here, go go talk. So I did. I booked an appointment with a psychologist and um, I was waiting to do the whole like laying on the bed thing and go, oh, doc, you know, uh, and then <laughs> fall asleep. But like we went, we went for a walk and – and we, we talked it out. It was amazing. He's like, you're not crazy. And I was like, that's epic. So I can tell my wife that now. Like the doctor said I'm not crazy, right? But, um, <laughs> but he just gave me some, you know, two or three practical steps to go from there. And I was like, I can do that. And he goes, I know you can. And I did it. And I was like, wow. And I was so grateful that I kind of took that like just first step, Recognize I didn't have to wait till things were out of control, until I was unwell or until I was ill before I recognized there are some really practical steps here. And you know, So for, for people in that space, right, people that are feeling like they're pretty um, – like overwhelmed right now and almost it's becoming that far. So what would be some important first steps or how do people start changing gears there if they recognise things are getting out of hand here?
1: Sure. I mean, there, uh, we talk a lot about um, people should, you know, always go and talk to someone, need to tease that out and, and uh, be looked after by the people in their community as well and get support from there. But it can be very hard when, when you're the one who needs help. And, and you need to talk about what's going on. Yeah. Often the things that you're experiencing, the way that you're feeling, it, it can be very difficult. It can be very distressing as well. And even just finding the words to explain it is very tricky to do, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time scary because uh, because you might not have talked about it before and being open and vulnerable with somebody can be really hard. It, it seems that um, men in particular aren't as good at, Talking about things or going to see somebody um, about what's going on in their lives. the 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 important thing, I think, is to be be ready to to be vulnerable and to talk about things, especially with a professional. You can always book in to see your GP. You can go straight to a psychologist if you feel like you need to, or a counsellor. You'll see on uh, the. Leaflets that are on the seats. There are some websites and things which can also be a good starting point, as well as some, some of those will have little tests and things that can look at how you've been feeling as well and recommend some more resources from there and get more information as well. If you have supportive people in your life, or if there's somebody in your life that you would like to support, being able to have a calm and frank and open discussion with them can be really helpful. Not everybody's ready for that, and that's yeah. fine, um, but if there's somebody in your life that you'd like to support, let them know that you can be there for them if they want to talk. Some of the things that they say you might find to be a little bit difficult to hear or even understand, um, but at the same time being supportive and just letting them know that you're there for them and helping them to get to a professional can be really helpful as well. You can help them to make an appointment, for example, to see their GP. You can help them to call one of the phone numbers that you are on the little leaflet as well. If you if they're happy for you to go, then you can go along with them to see their their doctor or their psychologist.
0: That's great. I remember being challenged uh, by thought that God can't help us in our fantasies. He can only help us in our realities. And if we're not honest and real about what is going on, we can often then suffer alone where there's just, I mean, all the practical steps, but also there's a community here that loves, loves people and the God that we believe cares for how we're going. Um, so what about then to the... Let's push it like to the nth degree. Someone finds themselves so overwhelmed right now, and thinking that there is there's no escape route, there's no other option, and so they're they're, they're wrestling with the thought of ending their life, thinking that this is like a final a final say. And you know, many people might have experienced that or know someone in that in that regard. It's often a lot of stigma and often unspoken about that tension. Mm. So can you maybe
1: speak a little bit, bring a bit of light to that area? Sure. I mean, if we're talking about thoughts of suicide that can be a really scary thing for someone to go through sometimes you know and just because somebody's having thoughts of suicide doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to act on it or go through with it but we know that talking to somebody about it and being um, direct about suicide and what they're thinking it doesn't cause them harm Um, in fact talking about it bringing light to it can help them to more effectively deal with it Um, once again there's phone numbers uh, there on the the leaflet that are really great resources for you to go through if you're feeling like you're in crisis as well and you can help somebody get along to see a professional um, if you if they're talking about suicide, if that's something that's on their mind. Um, I think it's important to be quite open and honest. The more that you hide things in the dark, um, they can grow sometimes like mushrooms, but bring it out into the light is certainly not going to do any harm and can be really beneficial if it helps that person to, to find help or if it helps you to find help and some relief from the distress that you're going through, if that's what's on your mind. You know, suicide, uh, people will have thoughts like that or even uh, start acting on it if they're not only in the context of mental illness but if they're in a lot of emotional distress as well. Some of the the published literature on suicide will talk about the concept of a psych ache, which you might find an analogy to a headache or a backache. It's a painful, distressing situation to be in and it often feels inescapable but there's resources out there and people to support that person or you if it's you that you can lean on um if that's what you're going through
0: and can i just press in on that for a moment it's worth saying like if you're if you're in that space and if it's something that is a reality for you and something maybe you've been alone in um all i can say is i encourage you to bring it to the light you're not alone and you have not only a god who deeply deeply cares about your life but a community here that's here for you. And even if it's not this community, if someone else in your world, you do, not, you do not have to suffer alone. You're not going to be ostracized. You're not going to be labeled. You are loved and your life has just such an amazing, amazing future ahead for you. Even even if you're here listening online and you're not even connected to community somewhere, there is someone who will listen. And I just, when you, when you told me that, that statistics that when people talk about it, their chance of improving, and getting well, just dramatically increases. I'm like that, that's something so simple, but something so able to do is just such a, a phenomenal thought. Um, thanks, man, for speaking. I think it's, it's important to highlight. Um, I know you love your diagrams. Again, can our our our, our brains? Obviously, they're, they're an interesting reality. Um, maybe you can show us kind of how different things kind of work mm. in our brain space. I don't know if there's brain diagrams you draw mm-hmm. to show how they maybe, I don't know if they're yeah. different. Can you speak into a little bit about, understand sure. how our
1: brains do work? So uh, when people are going through high states of stress, for example, this could be physical stress, emotional stress. It could be a psychological distress. Um, then it can really change the way that our brain interacts with itself. This is uh, a diagram of your brain, Jono. Ah, it's Kenny. <laughs> it's not to scale. Um, I don't understand what you mean. <laughs> there's a center in our brain which helps to regulate our emotions called the amygdala. Um, the amygdala will be, a, has a very close interaction with the memory centers of the brain. A lot of the things that we go through will trigger uh, memories and then emotions that feed back into the way that we're, well, feeling. In the front of our brain, In the prefrontal cortex, that's our rational part of our brains and that helps us to make decisions, to think things through. It also has a connection back to the amygdala and that regulates how much our emotions affect our decision-making. What we find is that when people are under a lot of stress, and this could be physical, so maybe if you're not sleeping so well, insomnia, maybe if you've been burning the candle at both ends, maybe you're under a lot of stress, Maybe you're not looking after yourself so well. Maybe there's a lot of anxiety in your life or there is a mental illness which is you're struggling with. We know that the amount of energy your body puts into the decision-making part of your brain will go down. As your stress hormones build up, your body will rely much more on your amygdala for its decision-making with less wow. input from the prefrontal cortex. What that means is that if you're under a lot of stress, for example, you could get very short-tempered. And you might not make such good decisions or say things in the heat of the moment which you later regret because you haven't really thought it through because you're not able to. What happens is that people start operating out of their emotional centre instead of their rational centre. They struggle to focus wow. a lot of the time. They struggle to work a lot of the time. They struggle to solve problems a lot of the time.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense though. I often hear in different relational counselling, it's like when if someone's angry, if someone's like flustered, mm stop having the argument because your brain has literally shut down like you're not able to think rationally right so it's kind of like if you're in an argument with your spouse send them to their room like you're not thinking (laughs) straight your brain's turned off right is that the idea (laughs) you can try that if you like Jono but not me but (laughs) a friend I know you know (laughs) they tried it out um okay on everyone's seat, you have with you that little handout we we're talking about. And on one side of it, you have a whole list. I think there's 11, and I know it's an exhaustive list, of unhealthy thinking st- unhelpful thinking styles. Now, this again is in the area of, of health, of things that we can do proactively. This is what I, I actually love about this. A lot of this is, it's not just simply reactive. Like, oh no, something's wrong with my thinking or my brain. I need to do something. This is like proactive things we can be aware of and, and put things in place, so can we throw up on the screen and for those at home that you'll be able to see this and a whole lot of uh, unhealthy, unhealthy thinking, unhelpful thinking. Styles yeah. And again, I know you, you told me there's heats more than this list. I just looked at this more, list of 11. Yeah. I'm assuming this is my list because <laughs> I looked at this list and at least one point in my, my day, one or more of these things, I'm like, I do that. Oh, that's mm-hmm. so what I do. And these are all something that we can proactively identify and mm-hmm. then like regulate and go, I don't need to do that. So can you maybe like... Sure. shotgun
1: workers through these yeah so i mean uh, these unhelpful thinking styles this is another thing that you might talk about with a psychologist or a mental health professional or a counselor if you were to go and see somebody um it comes out of uh, again research by a, a lot of clever people um the uh, the unhelpful thinking styles they're often what we call an automatic thought so we don't often see within our own minds the thought process which goes to coming out with these conclusions um because they're very quick um but if we're finding that we're distorting our thinking and, and we get a lot of this in people who are not in a healthy mental state or sometimes if they're under a lot of stress or struggling that will start thinking in ways that fall into a number of categories which can be like you know, categorised here. Um, the, the mental filter people will often use where they only accept information which reinforces the idea of themselves that they already have. And this is often a, a negative way of thinking. So uh, as you said before, if you get 100 compliments and one negative Comment. Then most people try to f- end up focusing on the on the negative so um, part of it and filter out all the all the other aspects of, of their um, positive criticism. Um, with things like mind reading, we'll often uh, see people. T- See, well, I I do it myself sometimes. If somebody's, you know, short or grumpy with me, I'll start assuming that I know what they're thinking um, when in actuality maybe that they haven't slept very well or they've got some tummy grumbles or something and it's just putting them in a bad mood. It's not my fault at all. People who do things like fortune telling, they'll predict the future usually with a bad outcome um, even though they don't really know what's going to happen and it's possibly not even that big of a deal at the end of the day. Uh, often people will personalise things that are going on around them. Maybe at work things are really busy and they feel like it's all their fault and they'll blame themselves for things that maybe are only half their fault or not their fault at all. Right. Um, <clears throat> magnification and minimization kind of works in two ways. Uh, a lot of people will look at other people and what they're doing and magnify their achievements. You know, They'll see what they're posting on Facebook or something. and think that person's doing so well and me, I'm not doing very well at all because I very rarely make Facebook posts or something like that but they're actually um, not looking at the entire spectrum of of what's going on for them or for that other person either. Wow. Uh, With uh, emotional reasoning, people will take the way they're feeling and assume it to be true. Things like, I feel bad, so I must be bad. Um, And they will have a lot of trouble contradicting that kind of thought catastrophizing is something that people do when they take a problem, which is really quite small, maybe inconsequential, but feel like it's going to be an extreme problem for them. And the worst case scenario, apart. definitely yeah. what's going to happen. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, polarized thinking, we'll sometimes call it all or nothing thinking, where if something doesn't go one way, then it must be the extreme opposite. You know, if it's not good, it's bad. If it didn't reach this outcome, then it must be that outcome um labeling is something people do where they'll take one thing which maybe they've been called or they've called themselves um, and apply it to themselves and believe that this is the thing that i am um sometimes they can do that to other people as well and that can be quite detrimental when it goes outwards like that shooting and musting is something that people do when they're um, they set a rigid set of rules for themselves you know they need to exercise every day from dawn till dusk or they need to achieve certain marks and if they don't do that then they'll uh, feel like it's a failure on their part. So it's part. like our
0: own rules we've given ourselves. It's essentially, like children, yeah, and often unrealistic, yeah, right. that's right.
1: Um, and uh, when people overgeneralize, they'll take one aspect of themselves or their lives and they'll assume that it applies to the entire entirety right. of their lives. It's a global truth for them, even though it's not necessarily something which takes into account yeah. the rest of what's going on for them and their lives right. in the situation.
0: So I, I remember when you showed me this list, I'm looking at everyone going, I do that, I do that. And you're probably sitting here today going, yes, 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 yes. I got 100%, you know, amazing, <laughs> A+. plus. Um, so they're unhelpful thinking styles. Where does, like, flip it positively mm-hmm. then? If we identify something here, what? what's just something to do then? If you identify, I sure. personalise everything or I'm a sugar yeah. and a muster. Look,
1: yeah, yeah. Look, uh, you know, when, we're, when you notice that there's an automatic thought and it's not an easy thing to do, if you're having thoughts that you think are distorted or unrealistic, it's a good idea to maybe have a look at that thought. You know, you can say, what was going on for me? Why did I think that that was a true thought at the time? And you can say, well, is there anything that, that gives credence to that thought? Is there any evidence that that's a true thought? Um, and see what's... What is true about it? Is there a diagram and at the for that? Same time, something about possibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you go for a <laughs> diagram. See can go. So, if you have a thought, say so you have a a thought which is um, that uh, I must be uh, a bad person because that person wasn't nice to me, for example, then you can find that you get this outcome uh, that you feel like things are bad, that you're a bad person, that all these things that you do always come out in a bad outcome. But the, when you look at the connection between that, you might find that there's a few things that go into that. Somebody might not have been nice to you, but maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe it's the other person's problem. Right. Maybe you uh, did something that was minor or inconsequential, which kind of triggered them. That could be part of that pro evidence part of it. Maybe that person, they're not nice to anybody. Maybe they're just going through some stuff themselves. Um, you know, and once you examine that and say, well, how much of that is really true? Maybe it's not me. That's bad. Maybe, sure, there's some stuff that I could work on, but you can draw then a new conclusion and a new set of thoughts, which, can you read that, Jono? Thoughts. Yeah, thoughts. Um, that, that is different from your original set of feelings And, um, and find that there's, with the change in evidence, that you come out with a new state of mental well-being.
0: Now, you mentioned earlier uh, about the whole idea of um, sometimes our core belief and how this affects that and how then mm. an event might trigger an automat- automatic response. So, for example, one of the unhealthy thinking styles, yes. we might find if we're always going to that that sometimes it can point to maybe there's a fundamental core belief that is is a skew there? Can you speak into that? For yeah,
1: sure. So um, one of the ways we conceptualize this again comes from research made famous by um, Aaron Beck and, and a lot of other researchers as well. If we uh, look at this circle as our thoughts, we find that often we'll have a triggering event. Maybe that person was nasty to us. We automatically have that thought that we, uh, you know, we're a bad person. That's our consequence. This is often what we call an automatic thought, and that's where people often come out in one of those types of thinking styles that we saw before. Our automatic thoughts, we find, uh, as we conceptualise it, they overlay what we call intermediate beliefs. So a belief, that's often a set of rules that we might have for ourselves. People need to be nice to me in order for me to be a good person. And that can drive what's happening with that automatic thought, even if we don't conceptualise it at this point in time, there's something underlying that as well. Underneath that intermediate belief, we have what's called a set of core beliefs. Now, we often develop these while we're young and while we're growing and they can be reinforced by experiences or our perceptions of experiences that we have. Maybe we feel like things will never work out for us or good things never happen to me. Maybe we feel like I'm not worthwhile. Those can be core beliefs. Often, if we're using, say, a mental filter, things which contradict that core belief won't really get in to affect it, but things which reinforce it will, the way that we interpret those experiences, and start to make it stronger. These core beliefs can set up our intermediate rules, which then drive our automatic thoughts. But we know that if we can examine that, and this is something that we would do with the help of a psychologist or a professional who's helping us to work through these things, at an individual level, that we can start to have an examination of that automatic thought and come out with a more realistic way of thinking. Right. And that we can start to affect our intermediate beliefs when we do that system. Working on core beliefs is very tricky, and certainly, if that's something you want to do, I'd very much encourage you to go see a psychologist or even a psychiatrist or somebody who can talk to that specifically, because it takes a long time to work from this point to getting down to working on this um, and a professional is definitely necessary to do that but we can see that these automatic thoughts can be driven by things which are going on in our filter. That's so massive. Filter.
0: I remember when uh, I first talked about this idea of our automatic thoughts and I was thinking about what my automatic thoughts are and something in life and maybe you're thinking of your own right now like if you're triggered by something like I remember when I was first a pastor and a, a Sunday would happen and say if numbers were really low I'd get home and I'd be like, oh my gosh, everyone hates me. That's why they didn't come to church today, right? And so straight away, my initial, my, that's all right. My, um, my automatic response was like, I'd personalize everything and I was like it probably had nothing to do with me there's like something on like I don't know it was, you know, it was, it was hailing outside you know God knows and, um, and so I fundamentally then started to go whoa like something is wrong what I fundamentally believe about myself like where this, that somehow like my value my worth is shaped by some external thing that I had nothing to do with and then it kind of triggered off these unhealthy thinking styles mm-hmm. Dr. Chris really appreciate your time thank you for your professional expertise and talking us through that thank you appreciate your heat mate Amazing stuff. And again, like our hope and prayer is that maybe there's just kind of one golden nugget there that you can take home and go, that was me and, well, oh, that's what I do and that's how I think and that's something I can put in place in my life. And, you know, this whole series we've been discussing about the nature of our mind and the very fact that Jesus taught that how you and I... Um, work with our thoughts and navigate our thoughts has a huge play on how we relate to our Heavenly Father. And this is just so, so important for us to aware that in the same way we take care of our physical well beings and our relationships and we budget, like your mind is so important and it's a gift God has given you. You need to take care of it so well. And add to that, um, I think when particularly looking at this diagram that is now raised from the whiteboard that was very efficient of you, Dr. Chris, um, thinking about, well, what is it for a Christian, for someone who puts their trust in Jesus, Fundamentally, this is where our belief in Christ affects what our core belief is. And you know, last week we touched on this idea that Jesus taught about when you learn to put your trust in Him, it's like the experience that happened as you were born again. And so maybe you've had certain events that have transpired that has taught you to think one way about yourself, but the moment you come to faith in Christ, He starts dealing with the core of who we are and how we value ourselves and how we see ourselves. And you start to see yourself as your Creator sees you and you start to value yourself as God has valued you. And so as much as there's a whole lot of practical steps here, and I'm so grateful for the medical community that has just worked so hard for so many years to help us understand how we're wired, your Heavenly Father who has created you cares so much about your health and how you think and how you take care of your mind. And in fact, again, we've talked about this the past few weeks, the authors in the New Testament, right there at the beginning of the church, they never shied away from addressing this. And the Apostle Paul, he wrote so pertinently about the whole wrestle that happens with our thinking. And his letter to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse four, here's what he says. He says, for though we live, we live in the world, which is really important to note, we are human beings. We have a body, we live in the world, right? You can't just ignore the fact that We have to deal with the realities and the pressures and and all the thoughts that you and I have to filter. He says, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And so it's interesting, he sets up the analogy of our thoughts as like these strongholds and that our thoughts, he uses a battle analogy here, a war analogy which I just think is so perfect because to be honest, if we're real, some of the biggest battles that you and I fight in life are with our own thoughts. Some of the biggest battlefields that you and I have to navigate through are with our own thoughts and wrong thinking and wrong belief and unhealthy and unhelpful thinking. So to me, it makes perfect sense that the New Testament would say, well, your thoughts, it's like a war that is raging. Then it gives hope to the believer. And the very next part, it goes on and says this, so says, therefore, we demolish arguments and every pretension that set, sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I mean, they are fighting words. And it's amazing. He paints this picture of God. He says, God, God is in the business of demolishing unhealthy thoughts as if to say, hey, hey, this isn't something you bargain with. And when thoughts kind of come your way, you don't learn to live with some and not with others and you you learn to accept it. He uses the word demolish, as if to say, don't negotiate with terrorists. (laughs) When you have certain thoughts that come your way that do not align with what your heavenly Father says about you and what your value that God has placed in your life through sending Jesus and Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, any thought that speaks to to your value and your worth that is contrary to to what Jesus is and who Jesus is. I'd say that's a terrorist thought and don't negotiate it with it. Don't give it a hold in your life. And the Apostle Paul says, here's what to do. Yeah, it's worth, if you wanna clap for that, go ahead and clap for that. He says this, Therefore, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. This term, take captive. Again, this is such strong language. But as if to say, this is the fight, this is the war that you and I engage with that either your thoughts will take you captive and you will be a slave to whatever you believe or you choose, as the Apostle Paul said, to take captive every thought. And every thought that knocks on the door of your mind and the door of your heart that is contrary to Christ, you take it captive. And what do we, what do we mean by that? It could be sometimes a not... Uh, totally true picture to think that the Christian experience and the Christian life is simply seen when things have gone wrong and we turn to God in prayer and be like, God help me, where we kind of relegate God to emergencies. Now, as much as God is 100% there for times of trouble and times we need, the Christian life, I would argue, is more seen in our following of Jesus. And we make a decision every day to follow Christ and to pursue Him and to believe what He says. And so when you're following Jesus, a thought will come along. Remember, the Bible says that we are in the world, which means you're not going to escape this. This isn't a, a, you know, a battle that's done today and that's it. It's a war. And so when you choose to follow Jesus, here's the advantage. Every time a thought knocks on your brain to believe something about yourself or your worth or your value, and we can do one of those unhelpful thinking styles. You get to tell the thought, thought, I refuse to serve you and to allow you to take me captive I follow Jesus, you're captive to what Jesus says about me. Because you can't determine, come on, what thoughts come your way? But you can determine what you do with that thought when it arrives. And we need to practise taking those thoughts and make, I love this, making it captive. And just say, don't bargain with it for a second. And maybe you and I are sometimes tempted to bargain and to tolerate certain thoughts that we should never negotiate with. Say, thought, I'm a follower of Jesus. And if Jesus says I'm worth this much and if Jesus says I'm this valued, well, you might not think that, but you're gonna, I'm gonna take you captive and you're gonna be obedient to what Christ says about me. So the question I wanna leave you with today, simple, but what, what core belief do I need to take captive, to make it obedient to what Christ says about me? Is there a core belief that maybe you identify in your own life today? That has held you captive, and you get to switch it today and make a practical step. And maybe it's one of the things that Dr. Chris talked through today. Some practical steps. Maybe it's simply for you talking to someone. Maybe for you, it's bringing your struggle out of the darkness and into the light. Maybe it's engaging out of doing life alone into getting into community. Maybe it's for you, it's literally bringing something to your heavenly Father and go, I just have never been honest, because He will help you not with your fantasies but with your realities. So bring your reality to Christ. But maybe for you, there's a core belief that you need to surrender and say, God, I submit this to you. I want to take it captive and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, you are well aware of every thought in this building and every thought of people listening here today. What we wrestle with, sometimes our biggest struggles in life and the, the battlefield that is our minds. We are so grateful you haven't left us to fend for ourselves, but you are the demolisher of wrong thinking. So we pray, do that in our life today. Maybe there's been some thinking that has been just so unhelpful and unhealthy for our life. By your grace and your unbelievable love for us, demolish those thoughts. Again, show us what Jesus thinks of us. And Holy Spirit, today, I'm just aware of people that are overwhelmed. Some people who have been wrestling with even this in the area of illness in their life and, they have that psych ache I pray for your peace today and your ministry like refreshing water over people's souls and their minds and their thoughts today. Minister to people. We trust you, God. We thank you for what you think about us. We pray this in the name it is above every other name, the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged
0: by what you heard and inspired to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. Hope you can join us again on the next podcast or here at Suncoast Church.